This episode is sponsored by Major, Lindsay, and Africa, the global navigators of legal careers. For more than 30 years, Major, Lindsay, and Africa has helped match law firms and corporations with exceptional legal talent. To find out more, go to mlaglobal.com. This episode is also sponsored by Bloomberg Law, an all-in-one platform that provides fast access to the information law firms and legal departments need. To request a trial, go to bna.com slash Bloomberg Law. Welcome to Big Law Business. I'm Josh Block. If you're new to our podcast, this is a podcast that focuses on the business of law, how the largest corporate law departments and their law firms do business. We're recording this episode on March 16th, and today we're going to do another in our series of deep dives on specific law firms. In past episodes, we've talked about KNL Gates and Gibson Dunn. Today we're going to look at Jones Day. Jones Day has received attention over this past year as Donald Trump's law firm. Trump has been a client of many firms, but Don McGahn, a Jones Day partner, was legal counsel to his presidential campaign. And many of the firm's lawyers have taken roles in the Trump administration. We'll be talking about more than just the Trump connection, but that's the reason we chose Jones Day as today's topic. I'm joined again by Paul Barrett of Bloomberg Business Week. Welcome, Paul. Thanks. Glad to be here. And we're also joined by David Latt of Above the Law. Welcome, Thanks, David. Thanks for Thanks for having me. Uh, before we get to Trump, for some background, Jones Day had the sixth highest gross revenue in the most recent rankings of the American lawyer at $1.94 billion. They have more than 2,500 attorneys, they have 44 offices, and they are in 19 countries. By headcount, they were the largest U.S. law firm last year with more than 1,600 lawyers working in the United States. Among their well-known alumni are the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia and the former Fox News Channel anchor Megan Kelly, who famously clashed with Trump during the Republican presidential debates. Paul, can you tell me other details about the background? Sure. Well, this is a firm uh, whose roots are firmly in the traditional Midwest. Uh, they began uh, their, uh, in the late 19th century. Uh, the firm was then known as Blandin and Rice. They had uh, clients uh, in the utility field, uh, banks, railroads, and significantly in the early 20th century, John D. Rockefeller was a client of the firm. Since then, they've uh, diversified uh, dramatically, and they now represent a significant cross-section of the American economy. Just looking at the, the Gs, they've got uh, GE Corporation, General Motors, and Goldman Sachs, which shows you uh, the, the range of clients. Uh, also uh, represents Starbucks, uh, Toyota, Volkswagen, American Airlines, Bechtel Group. All, all, all big brand names uh, are potential uh, clients of, of this law firm. David, any other background details about Jones Day? Yeah, I would just echo what Paul was saying. The firm has evolved in its client base. I think traditionally, when people think of the Jones Day client base, they think of large Midwestern companies with a sort of rust belt tinge. But now they have really expanded quite a bit. And so even though they represent major Midwestern companies like Procter & Gamble, they have added a whole bunch of other uh, clients and companies to the mix. And of course, famously, uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> So let's let's talk about this association with Donald Trump. How did Jones Day become so closely associated with President Trump? Well, the the answer is uh, really one man, uh, Donald McGahn, who in 2015 
<clears throat> decided to uh, become Trump's uh, campaign lawyer. Uh, he's someone with a an impressive background in the election law field. He's a former chairman of the Federal Election Commission. Uh, he came over to the firm with two other prominent uh, political law or election law practitioners, uh, Ben Ginsburg and Bill uh, McGinley in 2014. They moved from the, the late great uh, Patton Boggs firm when that firm was was deteriorating and um, were emblematic of a growing ideologically conservative presence, at least within the Washington office, of this otherwise quite uh, diverse law firm. Uh, originally, I think the connection uh, between Don McGahn and the Trump campaign was through a relative of his, uh, Patty McGahn, who was a power broker and mover and shaker in Atlantic City circles, where, of course, Donald Trump has over the years had a number of gaming operations. And so uh, Don McGahn became the White House, became uh, the campaign counsel to Donald Trump. And then after Trump won the election, he named uh, McGahn his White House counsel. So now at least 14 Jones Day attorneys have joined the administration. Paul, who are the lawyers and, and what roles are they taking? Well, uh, McGahn, we've already mentioned, is the is the president's lawyer as White House counsel. Bill McGinley, who we also just mentioned, is uh, a director of cabinet affairs or the cabinet secretary. Also in the White House is uh, a younger lawyer named Greg Katsis, who's the deputy White House counsel, who's a very well-known ideologically uh, conservative lawyer. Over at the Justice Department, uh, Noel Francisco has been uh, named as the uh, nominee to be Solicitor General, the administration's chief advocate before the Supreme Court. And uh, that's a, a very significant role, and I'm sure his hearings will be uh, quite uh, fascinating. Um, and then also at the Justice Department, there are uh, former Jones Day lawyers like Chad Reader, uh, John Gore, and Michael Murray. So it's, it's quite a long list. That's a lot of lawyers from yeah. one yeah. firm. <laughs> um, can you talk to that? What is that? Well, it is a, it is a lot of lawyers. Um, for my most recent article on this topic, I, I spoke with uh, Ted Olson, who said that as far as he knew, it was without precedent uh, that so many lawyers would be uh, involved with the firm. And of course, we could still see more lawyers being added. The, the administration is still young and there still are many jobs to be filled. Um, and I, I'm not sure that there's uh, a, a ready explanation for it other than the fact that obviously uh, McGann, who's the, ma the main bridge between Jones Day and the law firm, was... Uh, eager and, and willing to to bring over other lawyers and, and also some younger lawyers. Some of these lawyers are taking positions that are more kind of deputy type uh, positions. Um, and uh, I'm not sure I have an, an explanation beyond that. I think also one thing I would flag is that there are a lot of large law firms that normally stock presidential administrations that are more adverse to the current administration than is typical. And so I think Jones Day may have collected an unusually large amount of the spoils in terms of plum positions, perhaps because there are other firms that might have been or whose members might have been more uncomfortable with working in this particular administration. And not to say that these aren't plum jobs that many other people work competing with, for, and there are a number of other firms, Sullivan and Cromwell, Kazowitz, Benson, others that have sent people into the Trump administration. But I do think there was probably a less of a scramble for these positions compared to, say, a Hillary Clinton administration. A number of these appointees are are 
partners. Um, it's a huge firm, but how does this affect business? I think it's great uh, for Jones Day's business, as I was mentioning in a story I did for Above the Law. Uh, historically, when you have a uh, party in power, a new administration, you have all sorts of people who are trying to curry favor with that administration, who are trying to get favors from it, who are hoping that executive orders or legislation will favor its clients. And with a significant number of Jones Day lawyers who are now on the inside, who are staffing these high up positions, their former colleagues who know them well, who are friendly with them, are going to be much sought after by clients who have matters before the Trump administration, courts that will be filled by Trump appointees, uh, a Department of Justice that's going to be staffed by Trump folks, and of course, the whole host of administrative agencies as well. I think David is uh, is probably right that some clients um, will think that they have a, a sort of an open line to the Trump administration via Jones Day. Of course, if Jones Day were to uh, in any way cooperate with that, that would be entirely inappropriate and possibly illegal if they basically sold their services as intermediaries to particular people in the Trump administration. Um, so I think you, you may see some less sophisticated clients who would, uh, would, would think that uh, this is a good way to get an in with the administration. And I think more sophisticated clients would, would probably steer clear of that kind of thing. Uh, but that's not to say that, that David is wrong overall at all, um, because I think uh, this kind of uh, situation reflects a certain amount of, uh, of glory back on the, on the law firm, even the attention that we are providing to Jones Day in this podcast and that David has provided in his articles and that I, and I have uh, as well, all focus the... Uh, a reader's attention, and, and including the business community's attention, on the fact that Jones Day is very much an in-law firm, at least with this with this uh, with this administration, um, which shows that their lawyers uh, have significant government experience uh, when they come back from from uh, from their their jobs in the administration. And I think it it just makes. Jones Day seem like a player in Washington. I should clarify, it's not like Jones Day, in response to Paul's point, which I think is a very good one, uh, Jones Day won't explicitly go out, go out and hawk itself as the Trump administration's law firm, but it's just a matter of how the revolving door works in D.C. If somebody is the, he is the general counsel of an agency and you have a matter before that agency, who's going to know how that person thinks better than somebody who worked with them at a law firm for decades? So it's not explicit, it's just understood, and it's the way Washington works. Maybe some some might say, isn't this a bit swampy, uh, contrasting it with Donald Trump's promise to drain the swamp, but uh, that's just how things, the way things work inside the Beltway. Okay, but, but given that this administration is an administration uh, not like any other, is there reputational risk? Is there any damage that can be done to this firm? For me, I think a lot of the challenge for Jones Day from this might come from a recruiting perspective. Jones Day is a very well-regarded firm. It's, uh, I think, in the top 20 in terms of Vault's prestige rankings of law firms, which are looked at very closely by law firms and young lawyers who are looking for places to work. And as we know from the election uh, and from uh, exit polls and whatnot, many young people, especially the types of people who go to law schools and especially the types of people who go to elite law schools, are not necessarily in step with this administration. And so some of them might have pause before going to work for a law firm that is so visibly associated with the president, even if many offices and lawyers at the firm uh, have no particular affection for Donald Trump. Yeah, I think that's that's very true. And I would just add to that um, that there's the possibility of a 
particular scandal breaking out that would touch one or more of, of the Jones Day uh, lawyers. I mean, I, you know, it's no, there's no point in speculating about that, but this administration has only been in office for a couple of months, and already there are a number of potential scandals that are, are brewing, whether you look at uh, contacts with uh, the Russians or you look at the uh, president's uh, completely unsupported allegation that uh, former President Obama was uh, tapping his phones at Trump Tower. If it, if it turned out that any of those things blew up in a way that that uh, tainted uh, members of the former members of the Jones Day firm, that would not reflect well on the firm itself. The firm has a reputation as a conservative firm. I think there are at least two data points to point to that say may- maybe that's not the case. The first one I'd like to make is that Jones Day lawyers filed a brief on behalf of legal scholars that argued against Trump's authority to issue his travel ban. What do you make of that? And, and then I think some of these appointees had to recuse themselves, right, from from being involved in this. So what do you make of that point, that Jones Day would, would do that? Well, I think that shows that... Um uh, that there's diversity of of ideological views within within Jones Day. I mean, when you have 2,500 uh, lawyers, you, they're they're not going to walk in lockstep. Uh, and, and I think that there are uh, uh, liberal uh, lawyers and conservative lawyers, and they get along for business purposes and go their separate ways ideologically. So I wouldn't make too much of it beyond the fact that you don't want to typecast a, a, a 2,500 uh, strong a contingent of lawyers uh, as, as being one thing or the other. The other data point is the donations by Jones Day lawyers more gave to Hillary Clinton's campaign than to Donald Trump's by a significant amount. What do you make of that? I'm not sure that there's a lot of interpretation that is available to, to analyze that. I mean, there were more people who were willing to get their checkbooks out for, for Hillary Clinton by a, a wide uh, margin. It's probably worth uh, mentioning, just uh, to add another data point, as you put it, that uh, the firm gave quite a bit of money also to the Republican committee that set up the Republican convention in the, their hometown in Cleveland. So again, it's not the, the that the firm is averse to giving to Republicans in general. They were happy to support the, the convention. Um, I think uh, Donald Trump is a uh, is a controversial figure. And I would say we can infer that these uh, 14 lawyers uh, collectively didn't give that much to the uh, candidate who they eventually went, uh, went to work for. I would be curious to compare that figure about Jones Day donating more to Hillary Clinton than Trump compared to other firms that would be regarded as peer firms of, of Jones Day, because there were some analyses that were done during the election that showed that some re- some incredibly high percentage of large firm, aka big law lawyers, donated overwhelmingly to Hillary Clinton. And so Jones Day might be more balanced than others, but I haven't seen the, the data. I just am I'm curious. One of the things that is unique about this firm is its structure. Like most firms, it's a partnership. It's not a Verine, but they have what they call the managing partner system. The rationale is that lawyers should be practicing law and not focusing on anything else that goes with running a business. So they have one managing partner who seems to make almost all the business decisions for that firm. Can you talk about that structure, especially it seems really different than than anything else we see in big law. It, it is unusual in that uh, big partner, big large earning partners at the, at the firm are willing to defer uh, to the managing partner and uh, allow him to make so many decisions. This is a gentleman named Steve Brogan, who himself specialized when he was practicing full-time in complex litigation with uh, clients like GM and GE, Bridgestone, Firestone. Um, And he makes all the significant decisions, including all the compensation decisions, which are 
explicitly kept confidential from other lawyers. So unlike some firms which either use a lockstep compensation system where everybody knows what uh, what, what each other are making because there's an explicit system or where it's, it's not considered to be a big secret what your uh, colleague down the hall makes, here it is considered to be a big secret. And the idea is that lawyers shouldn't be devoting a lot of their time to competing with each other over how much they earn. That will get decided by the managing partner and they should be practicing law. The Jones Day system is very unusual in the world of large firms, which often run themselves through a series of committees. So it is quite unusual to have power concentrated so heavily in one individual. It is like a benevolent dictatorship compared to a lot of other law firms, which uh, are, I don't know how you would describe them. They're, they're really, uh, despite the erosion of the partnership ideal, a lot of them are run in a somewhat democratic fashion, at least with partners, maybe not associates or staff but partners as the participants. Jones Day is, is, very, uh, is a very distinct model. In the history of this firm, back to 1893, I believe there have only been seven managing partners. And part of this is even the managing partner picks the next one. Um, it just seems so unlike anything else. Um, the powers that this, that this person has in regards to this firm. Let's go a little bit more into this the compensation at Jones Day. Um, as Paul said, it's, it's black box compensation. Can you talk about that? And I know you've done a lot of reporting on this at Above the Law. Tell me about more about the compensation. Yeah, so uh, Jones Day has a black box model where lawyers do not know how much uh, their peers are making, and there is no set salary scale. So at most large law firms, if you're an associate, your compensation will go up according to a scale that is in the market uh, each year as you acquire more seniority. At Jones Day, your compensation will go up in an amount determined by the firm or the managing partner uh, based on your perceived contributions to the firm, and that amount is not set. And that amount might differ from somebody who is in your same class year, which is very unusual for associates. The same is true of partners. Uh, whether, uh, you know, uh, regardless of your title at the firm, you don't know how much other people are making and your compensation is set by, uh, by the uh, managing partner. So, and uh, it is considered a grave, grave offense at Jones Day to talk with colleagues and to compare notes uh, about your compensation. You have been able to compare notes. Uh, yes. So we at Above the Law have collected information from individual Jones Day lawyers who have reached out to us uh, with concerns about their compensation. Uh, these are associates, really, uh, partners. Um, but it is interesting. It's true at the partner level, too. I was talking to one former Jones Day partner who lateraled to a, a different firm, and I think he said he doubled or tripled his compensation when he made the move. And uh, he had no idea uh, what the market was for his services until he actually uh, started considering a lateral move. It's, uh, But Jones Day does retain a lot of very talented lawyers for long periods of time. So obviously their compensation can't be entirely out of whack, uh, but you will hear these complaints here and there by people who feel that they are not compensated at market levels. It strikes me as that in this regard, um, the firm is a is a real uh, throwback in, in that um, you know decades ago uh, it, it was it was considered day class A to, to worry about what your partners were making what the lawyers were making at the law firm across the street um, and Jones Day seems to have recreated uh, that ambiance and preserved it um, in a way that few other lawyer uh, th- few other law firms of its caliber have been able to do. So one thing I noticed is that they also score really high on uh, client service in various ratings and things. So I wonder if there's something 
to this notion that by having the manage managing the centralized uh, authority um, and people theoretically not worried about compensation, that that does do something to help with this client service that that people are really focusing on the clients. I don't know if that's do you have a thought? I think there is certainly some truth to that. Uh, as you mentioned, Jones Day scores very well on surveys of clients and surveys of its brand, whether it's BTI Consulting or Acritas or these other various outfits that uh, rank law firms by client satisfaction. And I do think that the black box model and the lack of competitive focus on compensation can help foster a sense of teamwork and collegiality. Uh, so certainly if you look at write-ups and profiles of the firm based on feedback from people who work there, that is one of the pluses that they cite, that it feels very collegial and it's focused on teamwork because you're not trying to one-up the uh, person uh, sitting next to you. One other notion about the lawyers at this firm is that it's it's harder for them to lateral because this is a full-service firm and they can't bring clients with them. They can't bring a book of business. Do you have any thoughts about that? If you're a lawyer there, you might be you might be stuck there. That's interesting. I think that there may be a self-selection process going on in that people who go to Jones Day know that they're going to a firm that is a full-service firm with many institutional clients, and they may be people who are very happy to work on a collaborative team as opposed to people who want to turn themselves into stars. Not to say that Jones Day doesn't have go-to lawyers in particular areas, such as McGann and um, now, I guess, uh, Ben Ginsburg and uh, the other political lawyers and election lawyers who remain there for example. Uh, but uh, it is, I think it is interesting and it is striking and perhaps to the firm's credit that it's managed to do this in an era where stars are becoming a much bigger part of the law firm world. And we should probably mention just uh, in the spirit of uh, disclosure that uh, Bloomberg LP is is a, is a client of, uh, of, the, of the law firm among many, many other uh, large corporations. Some Supreme Court trivia. The Jones Day name comes from a merger between two firms in 1939. The day of Jones Day was Luther Day, the son of Supreme Court Justice William Day, who was appointed to the court by Theodore Roosevelt. As I mentioned before, Scalia was an associate of Jones Day at Jones Day. Uh, and in recent years, Jones Day has been the firm that has recruited the most Supreme Court clerks. Can you talk about their Supreme Court practice and, and this commitment to getting Supreme Court clerks? So Supreme Court clerkships are one of the most coveted credentials that a young lawyer can have. Working under one of the justices for a year, uh, handling some of the most important, high-profile, history-making cases, uh, these lawyers tend to be some of the people with the brightest academic credentials out there. And Jones Day, for several years running now, has recruited the highest number of outgoing Supreme Court clerks at the end of a term. It is certainly something the firm prides itself on. It issues press releases with glossy photos of the new Supreme Court clerks who are joining Jones Day. And it is certainly a mark of prestige for the firm. Uh, the Supreme Court clerks tend to work out of the firm's D.C. office, and they often do a lot of appellate work, uh, which at Jones Day is concentrated in a group called Issues and Appeals. Uh, they can't work on Supreme Court cases for the first two years after leaving their clerkships, but they can work on appellate matters before state courts and federal circuit courts. And then after the two-year bar passes, they can also work on Supreme Court matters, as, for example, uh, Solicitor General nominee Noel Francisco did uh, as a partner at Jones Day. Yeah, we should mention that uh, at the moment, the firm is advertising that it has more than 40 uh, Supreme Court clerks uh, 
in the firm. And I think this last in 2015, there were they got 10, which I think is the most. Yes, offhand, I can't recall a firm getting into the double digits. Right, and so the the Supreme Court clerk bonus, um, I think it was the going rate was three hundred thousand dollars. Right. Yes, For, and word on the street is that it's even higher nowadays. Right. So, with the black box compensation and this. Um, this notion that they're paying these bonuses. Can you talk about the, why associates are attracted to this firm? And, and I think other th- important note is the, these come from, these are clerks who have worked with justices across the uh, ideological spectrum. So I think uh, the Supreme Court clerks form a very tight network and they all trade notes with each other. And in the final months of a term, when they are starting to think about what they might do after the court, they are definitely uh chatting with each other and uh, talking to also people who worked in chambers perhaps the year or two before them. And among this network, Jones Day has acquired a reputation as a very strong, uh, a very appealing place to work. It should be noted that these gigantic bonuses, $300,000 and up, are pretty industry standard. So Jones Day is not the only firm offering these eye-popping bonuses to these clerks. So I think the uh, clerks are attracted by other things, such as the caliber of the work, the colleagues, uh, the reputation of the firm. Uh, there's a lot to like uh, at Jones Day if you are coming from the privileged position of being a Supreme Court clerk. And then uh, that uh, 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 proclivity for uh, uh, institutionalizing client relationships indirectly would help here too, because if you've got a very large stable of large company clients who are sticking with the firm through thick and thin, inevitably they're going to throw off a, a large number of, of appellate matters. And that's really what some of these uh, former Supreme Court clerks are, are looking for. They're looking for appellate work. That's what they have been trained in. Um, it's seen as being very prestigious. Uh, and that work, uh, you know, disputes involving uh, the large body of, of uh, Jones Day clients will eventually end up in front of appellate courts. And I believe over the last six years, they've argued, Jones Day has had uh, 19 oral arguments in the last six terms. Do you guys know about the cases that they've brought to the court? So some of the most famous cases that have been handled by Jones Day are were handled by lawyers who are now in the Trump administration. So the appeal, the successful appeal by uh, former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell of his corruption convictions was handled by Noel Francisco, who is now the nominee for Solicitor General, and James Burnham, who works in the White House Counsel's Office. That was a very prominent case. Another major case that was handled by Jones Day and Noel Francisco was the uh, Noel Canning case, which had to do with the recess appointment power, which among legal nerd circles and executive power circles is a very big deal, even though it's kind of hard to explain to your relatives over Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, So they have worked on some very major important cases uh, within Supreme Court circles. Yes, and and I'd add another one. That's a very, very good point uh, that they've been, we're heavily involved in uh, challenging the Affordable Care Act, um, the, the Obama-era health reform law. Can you tell me about other litigation or other deals that they've been involved in? Uh, in January and February, they uh, represented uh, Reynolds American in, in its sale to British American Tobacco. That was a $49 billion deal. And they also ha- happened to have a case in which they uh, successfully represented, defended uh, uh, Reynolds uh, in, a, uh, in a tobacco liability case, which has been a huge area of, of litigation for the firm, representing uh, the Reynolds firm in its many, many uh, lawsuits uh, concerning uh, uh, the liability of the company for uh, smokers' illness and death. 
Also on the M&A front, the sheer volume of Jones Day's practice should not be underestimated. In addition to working on multi-billion dollar transactions like the one that Paul just mentioned, they work on a whole host of smaller transactions. So if you look at the M&A league tables by number of deals, not by dollar volume, but number of deals, Jones Day, I think, has topped that list for more than 60 quarters in a row. So they just have a tremendous, tremendous volume of uh, a tremendous amount of deal flow uh, just in terms of the quantity of deals, even if some of these deals are maybe firms that some of the big Wall Street firms wouldn't necessarily handle because, uh, oh, if it you know doesn't have nine zeros in it, we're not interested. As I was looking at the firm, you know, uh, the makeup of the law schools that a lot of the uh, lawyers at this firm attended is kind of what you'd expect. But at some of the sort of known and prominent people, uh, Megan Kelly, she went to Albany. Don McGann went to Widener. So, you know, some of these prominent people didn't go to the Harvards and the Yales. Um, it's an Ohio firm. So there were a lot of people that went to Ohio State. What do you make up of this notion that may- maybe this firm doesn't have, not that they don't have the elite lawyers, of course they do, but, <laughs> but that they have accept people from different law schools. Jones Day, I think, prides itself on being a meritocracy. And so sometimes merit is defined by elite credentials, and you see them scooping up gobs and gobs of Supreme Court clerks. But I think Jones Day also prides itself on being able to find diamonds in the rough or really exceptionally talented lawyers who come from places uh, that maybe their peer firms aren't recruiting from. So you had Megan Kelly, who was uh, at Albany Law School, uh, one of the other famous alums of the firm who's often mentioned as a Supreme Court uh, nominee himself is a Judge Jeff Sutton of the Sixth Circuit, who was uh, an Ohio State graduate. Not to say that they don't have tons of people from the usual suspects. I think one of their top schools for recruiting is Harvard Law School, and Justice Scalia, one of its its most famous alum, I would say, graduated from HLS. But the firm does take Uh, as you would expect from a firm with 2,500 lawyers, a very broad uh, view and casts a wide net when recruiting. And I think with lateral hires like Don McGahn, uh, who came from Patton Boggs and had already established himself as a very uh, well-known election law expert, where he went to law school by that point is irrelevant. So in, in reading about the firm, one of the things you see is is the way they interact with the media. I know it, sometimes I've seen above the law portrayed as they don't really have a sense of humor. Sometimes they, they get a little too involved in things that you'd think they might stay above, almost sort of Trump-like, or, or stay out of. Um, so can you tell me about their interactions with the media and the way that they've sort of reacted to things that have happened? I think that's a good point you make about the Trump comparison. Jones Day, like Donald Trump, has a somewhat fraught relationship with the media. When we reach out to large law firms for comment about stories we're working on, we usually will get some kind of comment, or even if not a comment, perhaps some on-background guidance. Jones Day is a fortress. They will generally not say anything. And when they do say something, it is often to complain. Uh, A number of years ago, Vivia Chen at The American Lawyer wrote a funny, mildly snarky piece about their new Supreme Court clerk hires, uh, describing them, I think, as, quote-unquote, expensive pets who were trim, perky, and adorable. And most of us would have chuckled at this and thought, oh, this is certainly a fun little piece. Jones Day took umbrage at it because they thought that somehow she was impugning their credentials or something, and they complained about uh, Vivia Chen and the American lawyer's supposed lack of professionalism, when really it was just a lighthearted color piece about a bunch of uh, impressive young lawyers. So I think they can, like Trump, be a little thin-skinned uh, and a little bit oversensitive. 
I had a strange experience just reporting my most recent piece about uh, all of the Jones Day lawyers going into the Trump administration, which is I was met with radio silence when I called uh, both their in-house uh, spokesperson and their managing partner, Steve Brogan, multiple calls, multiple uh, emails, just wanted to get some kind of comment and double check some facts and uh, literally wouldn't re- wouldn't even get back in touch, which is very unusual when Bloomberg Business Week is calling a business organization. It usually they, they call back if for no other reason, just find out what we're doing. Um, and hear nothing. So that's uh, interesting and impressive. That's all for this episode. For more on the business of law, check out biglawbusiness.com. If you'd like to contact us, our email address is biglawbusiness at bna.com. Follow Big Law Business on Twitter at biglawbiz. Follow me on Twitter at joshblocknyc. Follow Paul Barrett at author PM Barrett. And follow David Latt at David Latt. You need more followers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Latt has a ton of followers. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks with a new episode. Subscribe on iTunes so that you don't miss it.